So 1 Peter chapter 4, you guys should have this down by now, so um, we'll go ahead and open up in prayer and start the service. Father God, thank you so much for this evening. Um, just thank you for worship. Lord, just standing over there and just, <clears throat> just a chance to sing songs and just open our hearts up to you and just so grateful that you are there and that you're listening to us and you have a desire to hear our worship and um, you have a desire to be a part of our lives and hear our hearts and as we cry out to you either in need or in, in great joy, you're just so loving and you're so perfect, God. And I pray this evening that you would just touch our hearts as um, we continue on in, in, in First Peter and um, allow these words to, to, to dig it deep into our souls and, and challenge us in areas that we need to be challenged, Lord, and um, to be willing sacrifices for you to, to do what you have called us to do. Lord, there's nothing that we can give back to you but our lives. And Father, I pray this evening that this will just be another step, another opportunity for us to give back to you um, and show you the love that we have towards you as well. And we ask this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so first cha Peter chapter 4, the title of this message is Willing Sacrifices. Willing Sacrifices. So an introduction for where we've been at. I won't go as far back as I have in the previous ones. You guys should have this down by now. But so far, Peter has challenged his church, this church, not our church in Calvary Chapel, but, but probably our church as well, too. But um, the church, the four churches that he's been talking to in Turkey um, that are under persecution and that they're, he's asking them to be willing to submit so far. We've talked about submission um, the last several weeks. Um, he, he talked to them about, about being prepared for, for suffering, for doing good, that, that through the, that persecution that we're going to be willing to um, be prepared for the sufferings that we're going to get for doing things that, that are good, that God has called us to do, that we should expect some kind of pushback. And we're going to go into that even more this evening as well. I called it last week of just staying heavenly focused, of being heavenly focused and not distracted by the things of the world. And again, as a heavenly focus of having a, a mind of, of God and a mind of Christ and be, being in-minded and not now-minded almost in a way, of not just focusing on the pleasures that I can have now or the things that I can have. And, and some of those things, nothing's wrong with having nice things. Again, as I've said in the past, it's just, it's a point oh, is ultimately what is my goal? What, what my goal is, is heaven. And my goal is the fact that I'm, I'm striving to be holy the way that God has called me and, or is asking me to be holy. I'm not repaying evil for evil. And again, in this world, it's very easy to, even driving to church this evening, <laughs> I was challenged on this of just, not repaying evil for evil, of just not wanting to get in front of this guy that just cut me off for no reason, but, but to allow it to say, hey, you know what? You know, there's still going to be food there when I get there. You know, if it takes me another minute, there'll still be Mrs. Brodell will cook up another one for me. It's not a big deal. Not to be afraid of the world's threats, not to be afraid of what, what really can the world do to us as Christians. And they can take away our stuff. They can take away your job. They can take away, you know, name whatever it is. But again, if I'm heavenly minded, then, then that's where I'm going. There's nothing that really that this world can take away. Again, then, then where should your attention be? It shouldn't be on the things of this world. And to be prepared to give a defense of the hope. He, uh, Peter talked about that last week. And, and the hope that we have, our, our hope is, it's a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. And that's the hope that we have. And the hope that we have is, is we realize it through Christ Jesus who has died on the cross for us. And we understand that 
You guys are a Wednesday night crowd. Again, you understand that, that we are sinners and that there's things that we have done wrong. I've even admitted on the way here this evening, you know, that, that we have sinned and that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the God. That's what the Bible says. But the hope that we have, that we can't attain it on our own, but it was only through Christ Jesus and his blood, that that's the hope that we're, we're waiting for. And that's the, the confident expectation of our eternal salvation. That again, it's not this world. This is not where it ends. This is not where your final destination. This is just a process of where we're going until we get our ultimate promotion of which then we get to go to heaven. Again, staying focused on ministry things, things focused on spiritual things, so that again, we don't get lost in the clutter of what's happening within the world. And this week, Peter's gonna continue to encourage this church, this church also, and our church, to live for God and he's also going to tell us kind of how to do that. He's going to give us some pointers of how to do that and to be prepared again for suffering. And I don't know if you've picked this up and you're like, man, Kevin, you're like a broken record. Well, I'm not a broken record, really. It's Peter because he just continues to mention the same topics over and over again as he continues to write this letter to the, these churches. And so it surely shows you how bad that they have had it at this point, that, they're, that these sufferings are real. Again, they're, they're under the control of Nero, and, and, and Paul or Peter's in Rome, and he's, we'll find that in the next chapter, that that's where he's writing this letter from, and he knows what's coming their way. And he's writing this letter to continue to encourage this church that, again, I know it is bad. I know that you're going through rough times, and Peter has gone through his own rough times. But I'm encouraging you to continue to walk the walk I'm encouraging you to stay focused on the things that matter. Be prepared for sufferings. So we move on in, in verse one and two this week in chapter four. It says, therefore, um, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for, human, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So typically a pastor will get up here or a teacher will get up here and say, therefore, you have to go backwards to find out what the therefore is there for. But Peter tricks us this week because he then tells us in the next part of it what the therefore is there for. And so he says this week, it's therefore is since Christ suffered in body, in his body. So as Christ has suffered in his body, and, and again, as we move into Holy Week and, week, and as, as Pastor Carl has finished the book of Luke um, this week as well, too, you guys should have a very good understanding, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, too, of exactly the sufferings that Christ took. The things that he suffered, again, not because he was a, a, an evil person, not because he had sinned, not because there was a, he, was a, he was a criminal, nothing for any other reason but that he was the Messiah, and this was what was prophesied ahead of time, and that he understood that he was going to take those beatings, and that he was going to go on the cross, and the purpose that he was going to go on the cross was for us. Again, Jesus, again, God, he's cheating. He's, he was heavenly minded and heavenly focused on what the Father had asked him to do. But again, he, he took on the beatings for us and he, he took on these sufferings for us. We mentioned this back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and also in chapter 3, 18, it talked about of just the sufferings that, again, that Christ was willing to take upon himself for us. And the example for us as we continue to walk through our lives of understanding that, again, if, if Christ was willing to do this for me, and he was willing to go to a cross for doing nothing, then can I then get, go back and can I live for him and give back everything that I have in my life? Why? Because he's given me heaven. And again, it's, it's getting off the focus of the things that I have now and the, and the desires that I have now and the problems that I have maybe in my family and whatever that you want to fill in there. And again, being heavenly focused on, on him and understanding the sacrifices that he was willing to take for himself, for us. 
Peter moves on, he says, arm yourselves. And arm yourselves here is, is, is to prepare yourselves. It's, it's kind of like to take on our, we see in Ephesians 6 that we're told to put on the armor of God, that we prepare ourselves every day, that we're supposed to have the armor of God. And I heard a pastor one time talk about it when he was at Bible college. They had a, a, a guest speaker one morning and everybody was there and he goes, how many people put your armor on this morning? And you know, the Bible college kids, so they all raise their hand and he goes, great, why'd you take it off? You know, like, why'd you take it off? Don't, don't take off your armor of God. Keep that on all the time. Be ready because you don't know when that attack is going to come, but be prepared at any moment to be able to, to arm yourself and to be prepared for whatever tribulation and whatever things might happen within your life. Peter says, be prepared and, and to arm yourselves. And with the same attitude, the same attitude as who? Is Christ. Is Christ. Christ had the same attitude. To have his attitude as, as we look at his sufferings again and we embrace the fact that, that we will have sufferings as well too but that we have a perfect example of how to go through those times because we, again, get to look at Christ. We get to look at his example. And with the same attitude that Jesus had as, as he was willing to, you know, yes, he, he, was on, he was pleading out with the Father, if there's any other way, please. But ultimately, I know that this is your will and your desire, so I'm going to take up that cup and I'm gonna persevere and I'm going to go to the cross because I know that this is the way that it has to be. And when we embrace the fact that we will have sufferings, we get to freely choose not to sin, and we get to freely choose to walk for him. Again, we are the freest people that are on the entire world, not because we live in America. We're the freest people in the world because we are Christians. See, everybody else is bound by sin. We have the freedom to say, you know what? I could sin, and I choose not to. Why? Because I understand the cost that it was. I understand that, that what Christ had to go through on the cross for my sin. And so I, when I look at an opportunity, I, I look at it and I don't freely jump into that opportunity because I have an understanding that, man, there, there, was a, there, was a, there is a cost to that. Jesus had to die for that. And I said a couple weeks ago, Kevin does enough stupid things and dumb things. I can say stupid tonight because I don't have kids. That I can say I can do dumb things in my life that I don't need to add to those. I don't need to jump off into sin. With the same attitude, we freely choose not to sin and to walk with him. And Peter continues to move on, and he says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Well, Grudem says it this way, a commentary says, whoever has suffered for doing right and has still gone on obeying God in spite of the suffering involved has made a clear break with sin. Has made a clear break with sin. That once you understand it again, as you understand the cost that is involved, you understand what, what Christ has gone through, that you make that clear decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I understand that there's a cost, and I understand that somebody had to pay for that. So we understand in Romans 5 that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So then when we read Romans 6, 18, it says that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That we've been set free, Christian. That again, you're, you're not bound to the, the decisions that, well, this is what I've always done. You know, a long time ago, I used to, when I was a younger man, um, I would go to Subway and I would always get a foot long. It just, that's just what I did. I always get a foot long and chips and, and drink. And then, I ate it. and then you get older and you realize you're putting on weight and you're like, why am I putting on weight? It's because you're eating a foot long and you're no longer 20 and you can burn it off before you walk out of the restaurant. You know, so it's like, well, you don't have to continue to do the same thing all the time just because you've always done it. 
You get to walk in freedom and you get to make decisions to understand that I, I'm free from that now. Well, my family's always done it that way. Well, you're, you're not your family. You're Jesus's. And because Jesus has done this, I make a clear decision and I make a decision not to do that. Why? Because I understand the standard that I'm gonna walk in. You will be a slave to something in life, Christian. You will be a slave to something. You can be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. But we get to make that decision. Again, back in verse two, and he says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And you have made a choice to follow. You guys this evening have made a choice to follow and live for Christ. Romans 6, 2 says, we, we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You, you understand, again, as I continue to move through this, is, is, if we've died to this sin, then how could you even want to live in that anymore? You understand the dirtiness that you feel and you, the, 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 just the disgusting, man, what did I just do? It's just awful. Well, I, I can't live like that anymore and I have to make a decision to be able to move on for that. Peter moves on and says, for, in verse three, he says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing the, what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap up abuse on you. And we spoke on this back in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 11. It said, back then it said, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And Peter knows that most of them have, like us, probably have a past and, and things that we used to do. And then we, again, have friends that probably have called us shortly after you became a Christian and you decided to, like, yeah, I'm not gonna go to that bar anymore. I'm not gonna go and do those things anymore with those people anymore. And then they call you up and they're like, hey, Kevin, why don't you come out with us? And you're like, I can't do that. Oh, you're gonna go to that church again? You know, you won't, you won't spend any time with your friends anymore? And, and they just, they don't understand and they just continue to heap abuse on you. And you but you're making a decision saying, look, I... I Again, if I go back to where I feel like I'm dirty because of the things that I used to do, I can't, I can't do those things anymore. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I, when I first became a Christian, I was still trying to, to hang out with those friends, and I was going out on Friday and Saturday night, and then you know, I'd go to church on Sunday, and I was miserable Saturday night because of the things that I was doing and the things that I was seeing and the things that I was drinking. Then I would go to Sunday, and I was just miserable because Sunday, because then I knew what I did the night before, and I was just like, man, w what life are you living? Like, like, what are you doing? You're just, you're just miserable all the time. And, and so it finally got to a point where you just, again, like Chip Ingram said, you gotta push the chips in and make a decision. You gotta push those chips in and go, you know what? I can't do both of these things. And I know Jesus is the way, and I know that he has changed my life radically, and I know that I have a destination in heaven, and you know what? I'm gonna stay with him. And so I have like one friend from those BC years that has kind of stuck with me through everything. It wasn't my choice. I didn't say, I can't be your friend anymore. Just at a point, they were like, I can't be your friend anymore because you're not any fun. I personally think I'm a lot of fun, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, I think they're wrong, okay? <laughs> I think it was mean that they said that. <laughs> and your friends are shocked, and the way that you don't act like that anymore, and you don't, you don't have that kind of fun anymore. I tell you, Christian, if you're here this evening, that's okay. Be your own person in Christ. Again, you don't need the world's satisfaction or the world's you know, anointing to be able to live your life for Jesus Christ. You be who Christ made you to be.
and you walk in confidence in that, not because of your own personal ability or the things that you can possibly do. You do because Christ lives in you. He's the one that gives you the ability to do those things, and he's the one that makes you to be able to change all those things, you know, that, that, that have gone in the past to be able to walk in a new manner in him. Peter moves on in verse five, and he says, but, and there's that word again from last week, but they will have to give an account to him, God, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And an account, they're gonna have to give an explanation. They're gonna have to, in, in reference to judgment, they're gonna have to account and given judgment for the things that they have done. And, and the judge is the ultimate judge. It's the judgment of God or of, of Jesus, the Messiah, deciding between the righteous and the unrighteousness of men. So they're gonna have to come in front of those, these people who have been doing these things, they're gonna have to give an account and understanding of the things that they have done. Let me read it in the New Living Translation. It's, it says in verse five, it starts off, it says, but remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why in verse six it says, that is why the good news, the gospel, was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the spirit. And God will judge those who have chosen to not live for him. God will make that decision. God will judge those people. For those who specifically, who specifically for this, the church in Turkey, he says, who, who might have been martyred or living for the, him and have gone, given their lives for the gospel, well, they will live forever with God. So, so many times we sit there and we look at it, and we're, again, if we're not heavenly minded, we're, we're focused on the things of the world and that's going on, we look at the rich and we look at those who are, are having fun on Facebook or Instagram or whatever new things out nowadays that you're supposed to be looking at and, and deciding what real fun is in life. Well, those people in the world are the ones who are doing that. And Peter says, look, those people will get judged. God's going to be the one that judges them and, and takes care of that. Again, get back over here, and, and whether you've died as a martyr or because of the persecution you're going to face, or, or you've been heckled and you lost your job and you've gone through struggles within your life, I'm going to be there for you as well. Again, to stay spiritually minded and focused on the things that you're going through your life. So as you go through hard times and you go through these struggles, that you can understand that, that God is still there on the throne that he will be the one that watches. And those people who have, who have mocked God and have, have just you know, made fun of him and done just terrible things and taken his name in vain and have lived a life completely opposite of what it is, God says, I've, I've got them. Don't worry about it. Peter says, look, he, he will be the perfect judge for those people who need it. For those people who have died as martyrs and, and have gone ahead of us ahead of time, God will be there for them as well too. They will live forever with God. Verse seven, he starts off and he says, the end of all things is near. And I just kind of stopped there and it was the end of all things is near. And, and, and Peter says, I think this is, is, is kind of like a focus statement for us as, as believers to understand of, of why we really do the things that we do. The, 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 end, is, the end is near. And you say, well, Kevin, Peter wrote this like 2,000 years ago. Like how, how near is near? Like is it like near, near? Or is it 2,000 more years near? Or, or, it's near. All we know is that no man knows the time that Christ is going to come back, but this is what we know. The hope, again, that we have is in our eternal salvation. We know that Christ will come back. We, we don't know that time. I was talking to Pastor Reggie this, this afternoon, and, and we were kind of talking about this area as well, too, that, 
Again, we don't know the time because we're humans, and then we'd be like, well, I can just do whatever I want until like maybe the week before, kind of get right with God, kind of get things organized, and then we would just go ahead and make that decision and move forward. That's just the human nature that we are. We're just sinful and terrible, and even great people would probably want to do those things as well too because I know the time. But Peter's saying, look, I'm telling you right now that the end is coming near. And for us as Christians, we should sit there, one, and, and, and be happy. We, we know where our, our eternal salvation is. But shouldn't that energize you as well, too? I mean, it, it, should be, it should be exciting to be able to then know that, man, Christ could come back. He could come back tonight. He would come back next week. He could, he could wait till after Easter and then go, hey, guess what? I, I'm, I'm here. Like, hey, it was Easter, empty tomb, and here I am now as well. And how exciting that is, and for us, is then, shouldn't it just inspire you to then be of the great evangelists that are out there? To know that there's people that you know, that you love, that you care for, some that you don't even care for, but it doesn't matter that the fact that I've got a job to do then. You know, again, if I know that Christ is coming back and I know this is a done deal, then, then shouldn't that inspire you to be able to get out of your comfort box and, and be able to, to start that conversation or have a conversation with somebody and, and, and stir up something to be able to be Christ-centered and then give them the opportunity to make a decision? Well, it does that for me and it gets me excited because then, it, then I, don't, I don't know who I'm talking to. I mean, I might be able to lead somebody to, to the Lord at, at Target or, or at, at the park or I could be, wherever that you're at, you could just come into a conversation and then because of the inspiration that you know that the time is near, man, I did something for somebody that eternally will change their life. Eternally. Romans 13, 11 says, and, and do this, Understand that the, that the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Christian, wake up from your slumber. Don't settle for just the, the okay Christian life and the fact that I've done my devos this morning and I, I've gone to church a couple times this week and I prayed for a couple people. Wake up. There's so much work to do that's out there that, that people just need to know who Christ is. Well, Peter gives us an application on how to live this life as believers. And there's kind of like four to-dos is what I put down there. And, and I don't have any fancy little four C's or five C's or different things that some of the really good teachers do. But um, the first one I have is, is pray. And it's in seven, the rest of verse seven is here. It says, therefore, because of what we just said, therefore, because time, and all things are near, Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And the first thing that I have is, 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 is to pray. We need to be sincerely praying and we need to be lifting others up and we need to be, to be just, just going before the throne. And, and, and to do that, Peter says, well, you need to be alert. You need to be clear-minded. You need to be sensible. And can I say, Christian, like you need to be aware of the things that are around you. Like when you're, when you're in a store, you need to be not like eavesdropping on somebody's conversation to try to get some gossip, but you're, you're eavesdropping to hear if there's an opportunity to stick something in about the Lord. You gotta be listening to the, your neighbors that are around you and having conversations with them and, and being able to, to be a, bring the Lord inside of that as well too. I had a guy one time that used to live next to us and we're trimming trees and, and things like that. And then I just mentioned something about God. And then two years later, he, his wife has a conversation with Christine about just the fact that Gabe always remembered the fact that, that I was talking about the Lord and he just kind of questioned about a couple of things. It was, just, it was just part of my conversation. 
Again, because the things that come inside of you just automatically come out of you. And if, if, it, if God is on your mind, God is going to be on your talk as well, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, some are much better witnesses than I will be. I admit that. But it doesn't mean that you have to have the four points to be able to lead somebody to Christ. Do you just talk about God all the time? I mean, does it just, I mean other people talk about a whole lot of other things in the world. It's, it's okay if, if we talk about our world, which is the Lord. Just have that just part of your everyday things, man. Oh, man, the Lord has blessed me so much this week because of this and this and this. And, you know, praise God because he did this for me as well, too. And don't be crazy when you say it as well, too. I mean, you don't have to go like extraordinary and all that kind of stuff. Don't be extra, but just, just be your normal person, who you are. Be sober, be clear-headed. You know, one of the definitions, not drunk, is, is, is clear-headed and just clear-minded and just having an understanding exactly what you want to talk about. And then be sincere in your prayer for people. Just be sincere. If you write it down, I mean, there's so many opportunities to pray for. If you're like, oh, I don't know who to pray for or what to do. And I mean, there's a prayer board that there, I mean, every day there's three or four different prayer needs that are on the prayer board. There, there's, you can pray for me if anytime you want to as well too. I'll take it. Um, but you've got family, you've got friends who don't know the Lord. You've got family and friends who, who need financial help that, that needs, I mean, there's just so many opportunities. If you just, again, just start writing these people down it doesn't take much time where you're like, man, I, I don't have enough time to pray. Now I got to break these things down. I got to start having a system where I can do a couple people this day and a couple people the next day. But be consistent in your prayer and be open and clear-minded when you do it. The next one is love deeply. Verse eight, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, for the record, it doesn't say that the other two are not good. No, we have to have faith. We've talked about that. We already know that we, the hope that we have, it's so important to our faith as well, too. But he says the greatest of these is love. And when you love greatly, people's faults typically just kind of go away, do they not? They just kind of go away to where you just love somebody so much that, oh, they do that annoying thing, and, and you're like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, you're, oh, they do this, I, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. Why? Because it's just the, the fact that I love that person so much, I care for that person, that kind of all that other little stuff just kind of just goes away. Why? Because it's the person that I care for. And it, it's, it's the fact that I, you know, I could use my wife as an illustration tonight. She's not here tonight, but I don't want to embarrass her. So she's not here, so I'll embarrass her. So um, just, there's just certain things about her that, that maybe you're like, I don't like when Christine does that, you know? Um, you're wrong, first of all, again. So, um, <laughs> Just like my old friends that I don't have, evidently I need new friends here too. But uh, again, those, those things just, it don't, nothing, Christine has things, they don't bother me. Why? Because I know the, the greater fact of who Christine is, that I love her so much, that I care for all the other things that she does and, and has the ability to do that, what are the other things? It just, in the grand scheme of eternity, it doesn't really matter. I just care for her. And so again, as you continue to love people that are around you and, and all those little annoying things or, or statements that they make or conversations that they have, they just kind of go away. And so as Peter sits here and he says, you know, above all, love each other deeply. It's not such a, just a shallow conversation that you're having with somebody. You can't love somebody deeply if you're here in your conversation with somebody. It takes investment. It takes, it takes, you know, it takes getting involved and it takes asking some real questions and it takes an opportunity to, 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 to listen to them and, and, and have those unconversations, uncomfortable conversations back and, and to be able to get involved and get dirty sometimes in somebody's life. That's when you love somebody deeply. 
And you kind of find and know all the other junk that's in their life, and yet you still care for them. I, I don't care about that, you know? Well, I used to do this. Okay, you know, but that's not who you are now. And even if you were, I'm just more forgiving and more loving. I don't care. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs, just covers it up. Hospitality in verse nine, it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I was gonna joke and rewrite this and say, offer hospitality to one another and complain and grumble about it all the time, you know, but I didn't wanna change that. So, So offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is, is descriptive of, of practical kindness paid especially to strangers, often in the sharing of food and drink, lodging, and provision. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's a really hard verse, to do everything without grumbling and arguing. I saw the hospitality, and in fact, this weekend, um, we went and saw some friends of ours. He Jeremy Moss, some of you may know him. He used to have a child here at the school, and um, we used to go to a church with him and Burt Wiseman and all. We met him at a park. He and his family were in town. They go to Crystal River, Calvary Chapel. He's part of a U-turn um, rehab kind of ministry that's up there for addictions and stuff like that. And he was down here for the weekend, and we got to see him and his gaggle of children that he has and his wife. And um, so we were sitting there and just talking, the, the six of us, the, you know, the parents and all that stuff, just talking and catching up on different things that are happening in our lives. It's been several months since we've seen him. And um, just to have an opportunity to get caught up, and, um, and it was just wonderful. So then over in the side, there's this guy there, and, and we're in our pavilion, and it looked like he was homeless, and he was, and um, it seemed like he was a little off at the time. And so um, just kind of watching him, and he would inter, you know, engage with our conversation every once in a while. And you're like, all right, you know, we talked to him and, and all, and then we got done, and we were just getting ready to go, and, and he kind of stopped us and said, hey, you know, do you guys mind praying for us? for me. And um, we're like, okay. And then Jeremy is just like, he's like an evangelist. He's like, right at hundred miles an hour, you know? And he's just like, bam, 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 having this conversation. I'm like, look at this guy go. It's like unbelievable, you know? And it's like, he's like this verse, this verse, this verse. And I'm like, trying like, slow down. I got to take notes here. Like, this is, this is incredible stuff here, you know? And, but, but he's in his element. Like, this, this is what he does. You know, he's around these people all the time and people that are struggling with different things. And, and he comes out of a background as well, too. So he's like right in it and just right with the guy and just to the point, too, where he just asked him, he says, hey, you know, I'm going back to Crystal River today for the program. Do you want to go with us? He goes, you can get in the car with us right now. And I looked at him like, like, looked at my wife like, my wife would have just smacked me. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you what? You know, like, and, and, he, and like I said, I'm serious. He's got a gaggle. He's like four or five kids. So I'm like, I don't know where this guy's going to fit. Like, I don't know if he's on the top, you know, like, we'll give you a ride there. I didn't say you're sitting inside, but I'm like, how is he going to fit in this guy's car? You know, but, um, and so, but it was just amazing. Just the hospitality that Jeremy just didn't care about anything, but just this guy's soul. And he was one focused as far as that. And he was willing to say, hey, look, I'll, I'll have you sit in the front and everybody else is, because he's driving, probably why Jeremy didn't care. But he's like, I'm, I got a seat, you know, and you can sit next to me or whatever. And we'll squeeze everybody in the back from there and just go back for two and a half hours. And the guy was like, oh, I just, I just need one more week. And you're like, you know, for what? Like, what's gonna change? But the hospitality, are you willing to be and get yourself uncomfortable and show love in a way that just, are you willing to do something like that? 
He also says to use your gifts. Verse 10, it says, each of you should use, your, use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God, of God's grace in its various forms. Each of us has at least one gift. Can I just, Merry Christmas. Each one of you has, has at least one gift given by God, but the important part is for God. Okay, it's not so that you get the glory for whatever gift that you might have and ability that you might have. Again, it's, it's for the Lord. Example, this evening, you know, you might think that I have a teaching ability. Some of you may not. I might be completely, maybe average at best, something like that. But, but for example, my teaching tonight is, is not for Kevin's personal glory. It's, it's for the Lord's glory. And can I even challenge you even, even further that, you know what, if I said something tonight and you're like, man, that was really great, and two months from now or next week from now, you're like, man, I heard this one time and I don't know who said it, that's fine with me. Can I just tell you that honestly? It doesn't matter if you remember Kevin's name or that you got a Kevin quote out of this or something like that. All that matters is that the Lord was glorified in you and encouraged you in your walk. Again, because any abilities that I have, I just want to give back to the Lord for his glory and allow his ministry to grow and for you to grow. I can tell you, too, that's probably Pastor Carl's desire, too. It's not probably. I'm sure it is. Is that, again, it doesn't matter what the things that we do and, the, and the, any kind of encouragement that you might give is, is wonderful. It's nice. I'm not saying that as well, too. Because, again, my love language is words. So it's a really struggle here, okay? But it's a point of the fact that, it, again, it's, it's for the Lord's glory that we do anything in life. So if your gift is hospitality, man, do it and do it well. You know, if you, if you have other gifts as far as words and be able to do things, then do it. But do it to the, all the glory for the Lord that he would be the one that would get the glory and not for you. It's not a point to bring any kind of focus upon yourself. It's a point that you are able to give it back to him so that he would get it the glory. Paul writes it this way. He says in Romans 12, Verse three says, for by the grace given in me, given me, I say to every one of you, do not, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself self with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, to, if it is to lead do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. But can I say always, like always, make sure that you're doing your gift for the glory of God. But then the other question that I have for you tonight is, are you using your gift? So tonight, all of us have at least one. Some of us may have several. But are you engaged in the church? Are you engaged with the Lord to be able to be, able to be using the gifts that he is giving you? Because as a church, we need it. We need those gifts. As Pastor Carl always says, it could be a puzzle, and you're that piece of puzzle that we need to be able to put in that spot so that the puzzle looks complete but we need you active and we need you to be able to be doing the things that God has called you to do and has given you the ability to do that maybe nobody else has. But we need you to be engaged and we need you to do that. You need to be a faithful steward with what God has given you to minister to the church. 
Don't hold that gift back. Be able to engage it and give it back to the church. Verse 11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter reminds us that in anything that you do, do it as if God were, if, as if God were doing it. Do it in his words, his strength, and his glory. And then verse 11 finishes, and I always love doxologies, is, is to him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. To me, it's just, I just love doxologies and, and, and I'll just say I stood there and I just sat there and I just looked at that again too and I just sat there and prayed and just, again, as, for myself as I was studying, as I was thinking about these things to make sure that it, just the mindset that I had was for to him to be the glory and honor that he deserves and only him. Peter moves on and is reminding this church about the sufferings. In verse 12, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests in you. And Peter has mentioned this already, but as a pastor, he's just continuing to encourage these churches that the persecution is coming. And again, we have mentioned this, I think, almost every single week at this point, but the persecution is coming. And if you have not experienced it, it's coming, <laughs> that it's going to happen. And that there is a purpose and not to be surprised, it is, is to test you. And Christian, the same thing is with us too, is that as we go through life and we continue to have these tests that come upon us, they're to strengthen us in our walk. And we're to rejoice. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, and 12, it says, blessed are you when people insult you, they persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. We joked around this a couple times as well, too, that again, do we, do we rejoice when those trials come upon us? Do we rejoice when those sufferings come upon us? Honestly, we don't. You know, we're always looking for that end time that we're going to finish, or are we almost done, Lord? Is this, this going to happen now, or can, can we move on? And um, one of the things I was reminded this week in the Bible study um, for the school is that Chuck Smith said a long time ago, if, if the Lord tests you on something, make sure you pass it, otherwise you're going to take the test again. You know, so again, it's like if you're taking a test, it's like, man, I got to make sure I, you know, Lord, are you looking for an A? Are you looking for a B? Like, where, can, can we negotiate in this somewhere? Christian, go into it with a right attitude, and I promise you that you'll be able to pass it. Maybe Peter is reminded of his own time when he and the other apostles, they preach in, in Acts chapter 5, and then they, they finally get caught, and they've been flogged, and then they get thrown in jail and things like that. And in Acts 5.40, it says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let him go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of the suffering, disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they sat there and then they get flogged and they get beaten and then they get released. And the first thing that they do, you know, they don't sit there and they don't walk, you know, coming up to the door and, hey, man, we need some help. We've been, I mean, they, they sit there and they, they rejoice not because that they were worthy to be beaten. 
just worthy to be beaten. Christian, again, are you living that life that's worthy of the gospel? If you're to get beaten, if you're to have a problem that goes on in your life, do you, do you consider yourself worthy of that? Man, Lord, it's just awesome that you looked upon me and decided that I could take this beating for you. I look at this and I'm just amazed that, that that's the attitude that they had. We spoke several times about this. And, and again, what is the worst that can happen to you within your life as a believer? Peter moves on in verse 15 and he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or, evil, or even as a meddler. He says, look, if you're doing bad things, stop it. Church tonight too, if you're doing bad things and you're, well, hopefully there's no murders in here tonight, but there's, hopefully there's no the other things too, that hopefully you're not doing any of these things on this list. And Peter's saying again, as he said in the past, look, if you're doing these things, then you get what you deserve. Like you should be, uh, be punished. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear this name. Again, it's be, but suffering for being a Christian is, is to praise God. And there are Christians around the world today who are being abused and they're, they're getting looked over for jobs and they're, they're being martyred for the gospel. We uh, went to a church, previous church and at one time we were renting from a Coptic church. I don't know if you know Egyptian Coptic church. Anybody know what that is? A couple of you guys. And so um, it's kind of a, maybe a little bit as far as Catholicism at times, but, um, but Egypt, there, there was several, a group of them. And, and while we were renting the church from them, we got to know them a little bit better and and all in, at that time, that's years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a, in Egypt at Christmas time, there was a Coptic churches that had gotten bombed at the time. And so it just became very real to us to understand that, you know, that understand that these people have family back there who literally got killed because of the faith, who, who would get beaten because that they were Coptics, that they were Christians in, in Egypt, that would get passed over for job promotions and all. And, and again, it's, it's kind of, foreign to us as we live here because, again, there might be different persecutions that you're going through, but again, to look at somebody like that and to know that they're still willing to walk the walk and continue to, to be able to follow Jesus within that manner. For it is time for judgment, moving on in verse 17, to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. If God is allowing these persecutions on his church, these persecutions, again, which strengthens us and draws us closer to him. Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that I, I was one of those weird people, again, that thought that America could, could use a little bit of persecution, kind of strengthen us up in the church and get us memorizing our verses a little bit more, maybe you know, having a desire to, to know the word of God a little bit more, maybe praying a little bit more. But we are not judged, Okay. Christ paid for our sins and he took that upon himself. But an unbelieving world, it's impossible for them. Peter quotes in Proverbs 11, 31, it says, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And that's the scary part. If you, if you really, again, if, you have, if we have a total understanding of what hell truly is, our desire really isn't for anybody to go there. You know, and I don't want to get controversial, but Osama bin Laden years ago when he was killed, you know, as Americans, we cheered and we were happy. But as a Christian, I mean, ultimately, your, your heart should be like, he's in hell forever. You might say, well, he deserved it. Well, 
we all deserve it. So Christian, as you look around, and there's probably nobody that bad in America right now that I hope, but does, does your neighbor deserve that? I mean, again, if you understand what hell is and you understand that they're there for eternity, and it's not a joy show and they're not gonna sit down there and party with their friends and all that other stuff that they try to say, it's, it, it's, it's forever. Well, why should we care? Verse 19, it says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We, we commit ourselves to God because he is worthy and that's why we do it on ourselves because we look at God and we say, you are worthy of everything that I have within my life. You are worthy of me trying to live a holy life. You are worthy of me giving back to you and doing all these things. But also we continue to do good the same reason that we continue to do good while we were submitting to our masters and to those people around us, that they might have an understanding and have a desire to see who God is. But why do we live the life that we live? We live the life that we live to be witnesses to other people. We live life to the way we do because then that draws people to him. It gives us opportunities to be able to prepare to give a defense of the gospel at any point. Again, are you willing and are you able to give a defense of the gospel at any moment? It's the gifts that God gave you, and he's asking you to use those things. Christian, tonight, are, 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 we willing, are we willing to be willing sacrifices for him? Again, as we've talked over the last several weeks about different opportunities that we've had and, and continue to live this life to try to be holy, as we continue to do those things, I, I challenged you last week, are you ready to be, give a defense of the gospel? Have you started? It's been a week later. Have you looked up some verses? Have you have, do you have an idea of how you would lead somebody to the gospel? Do you have an idea of how you would give defense of the gospel? So again, again, if we're spiritually minded and we have eternal understanding of what's going to happen, people who don't know Jesus are going to go to hell forever. And again, it's not my responsibility to do that, to save them. I can't save anybody. The responsibility that I have is to go and make disciples of all nations and to be ready to give an understanding of who Christ is. Church, are you guys ready? Church, are you heavenly perspective and have an understanding of what your job is to do? Amen.